We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as a starting place in a few moments. You take your Bibles and turn there. I will be there in just a few moments. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Wednesday nights, I'm just taking some thoughts uh, from really our series in Acts. And tonight, I'm going to do that again, really from the life of the Apostle Paul. So, if you go ahead and stand with me, the title of the message is All Sufficiency. And that's really the answer to the, you know, the question that we'll be asking tonight. Um, but this is a great text. And if you look with me in verse number 8 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, now this is written by the Apostle Paul, and he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Now look at this promise. That ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. We have a promise that no matter what we go through in life, we will have sufficient grace to get us through. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the night. And Lord, the time we've enjoyed together, Lord, I pray You'd help me to communicate this thought. And uh, Lord, it would be a help to people tonight. And Lord, I, I ask for Your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank You so much for standing. I am currently reading um, a book. And I, I have a lot of books that I've read. If you've been in my office, you know, there are hundreds um, of books there. And I have a to-read shelf, and it probably has somewhere between, I don't know, 30 to 50 books there that I'm hoping to get to soon. And I kind of have this list of what I call my top 10 books. And uh, these are things that I have just found that really have spoken to me and um, they're kind of profound in, in what, they, they're, what they say. And I'm reading one that may make that top 10 list. And uh, the title of the book, and I'm not necessarily promoting it, I, I'm just telling you in my stage of life where I'm at, it has really been a help to me. And it's entitled Outlive. And the author of Outlive is a physician, and he is a kind of a uniquely qualified physician to write this. You would have to read about his biography and his life experience. Um, in the studies he's done that are they're very advanced and technical. But the book is probably about two things. It is about, number one, lifespan. Now, when I say lifespan, I mean it's about the number of years that you and I live on this planet. And his idea there is that it's probably somewhat possible for us in the way that we live to manipulate or to have some bearing on our lifespan. In other words, if we were to live in a, in a certain kind of way, we could lengthen our lifespan. And if we lived in a certain kind of way, we could probably diminish our lifespan. So, uh, really the sub-theme of the book is how to live longer. But he makes this point, what's the point of living longer if those last couple decades aren't worth living in terms of health span? You with me? And so, he talks a lot and mostly about health span. And so what he does, he, he gives this graph where people, you know, they live at a certain level in their life. And then in these, these last decades of life, they kind of have a really severe tapering off. And so this is physiological. It can't be helped in a way. But there's this kind of tapering, deep, deep curb that comes off. And then they kind of linger at a low level place until the Lord would take them home. By the way, it's not a Christian book. Um, so he doesn't say it that way. And what he is saying that he believes it's somewhat possible 
to live instead of like this with a long curve like this, that it's possible to live until you die. You know, or live more healthy, to, to live more robustly, to not have so much pain and demise in your later years. And he, he talks about that in a very de detailed biochemical uh, yet practical way. And I have found it incredibly instructive. And there's some things there that have really spoken to me. And so he's talking about, in part, some things like um, life training, lifestyle, educating yourself on these issues. And there's some practical stuff. The book's a little heady in some places, but I think it's worth it. And he, he does a good job of articulating terms that you not, might not be familiar with. It's not like a lot of guru books on health. This guy does a much deeper dive, and um, it's interesting. So, in this book, there's something that he said that really resonated with me um, personally, and it resonated with me when I think of, of our culture, and particularly Western culture here in America. So, he's in this chapter where he's talking about some things that we could do and the kinds of exercises that are unique that we may not think about that actually give us a greater degree and live. So he, he talked about the gym, and there's a lot of things that people do in the gym, and some of it's helpful, some of it's not so helpful. But he, he's got into this thing called rucking, R-U-C-K-I-N-G, rucking. And if you know what rucking is, have you ever heard of a rucksack? Military, rucksack. And a rucksack's a backpack. It's just kind of a big open backpack. And what you do in rucking, you just load it up. Like you just put stuff in it, and it's usually kind of like overnight. But the idea of rucking as a pastime, instead of just going hiking, you go rucking, and the deal is you load the backpack with weight. Okay? You with me? And um, the goal sometimes is to get about half your body weight. And then you go hiking uh, because physiologically, um, humans were designed to carry things. Okay? To carry weight. It's why our thumbs are opposed you know, to all our life when we have these uh, oppositional thumbs. And so our superhuman power, supernatural power, is, was meant to be sort of carrying things. And once upon a time, the life that we lived, carrying things was a necessity. And so his idea is that when we bear loads, we bear weights, we're actually doing something we're designed to do that helps in our lifespan later because one of the things that's lost as people age is the ability to carry anything. But he makes this fascinating point, okay? All that is for free. So he's talking about rucking and, and, and the importance of this and what he does. And he says, I was introduced to this pastime that I just talked to you about by Michael Easter in his eye-opening book, The Comfort Crisis. And I'm going to buy that book and read that too. His intriguing thesis is that because we have removed all discomfort of any kind from modern life, we have lost touch with the fundamental skills, not to mention the frequent suffering that once defined what it meant to be human. Okay, now you, <laughs> you go, I don't see what's amazing. That's amazing to me right there. I, I, that, that is utterly profound. Um, carrying stuff over long distances is one of these skills that our ancestors likely had to range far and wide to hunt food for their families and then carry their kill back to camp to feed everyone. 
It's so effective, speaking of rucking, that the military has incorporated it into their training. Now, this guy's not a Christian, I don't think, so we're going to dismiss some of the language here, but get the idea. He said this, carrying has shaped our species. Our ancestors carried often. It gave them robust functional strength and endurance that was likely very protective. But we've engineered carrying out of our lives. Just as we have many other forms of discomfort. Okay, can I just stop there for a second? Are you hearing what this guy's saying? That we were designed to live in such a way, we're built, that once upon a time, really probably for almost every century but the last two, people had to live more robustly. Discomfort was a part of life. There wasn't such things as cars to get your stuff from point A to point B. There wasn't mechanized vehicles. You had to carry things throughout the village or from one place or the other. You had to backpack, you had to hike. In other words, you know, we think this is the way life is, and we have all these modern ailments that people in the past didn't have in part because they lived the way they were designed to live anatomically and physiologically. People used to live until they died. Today we live until we linger poorly and then die. And he's saying, he suggested that part of our problem is, is that we have engineered discomfort out of our lives. You're sitting in a 70-degree auditorium that's climate-controlled on a padded pew, if you don't get the idea. You rode here in a vehicle. You did not walk. You live in a shelter that is super protective, and we probably, most of it, haven't carried 40 or 50 pounds in years. You follow me? That didn't used to be an option. The problem with this is, is that it has also affected our thinking and our, our, our thinking about discomfort. And even more, it's affected our willingness to engage in anything uncomfortable. In our religious Christian Western culture, not only has discomfort been engineered out of our lives, in many ways so too has many forms of pain and suffering. And that has affected our theology. Um, this weekend, I was with Pastor Redland, the pastor of the campus church, and we were... Um, I had finished up Sunday morning service, and we were in his car, and we were driving over to the place where we were staying. And, and Terry and Janet, his wife, were with us. And as we were driving, this older couple um, was getting in their car, and Pastor Redland stopped, and he rolled down his window. And he was expressing some empathy and comfort to this older lady. Her daughter, some years ago, had been in a really um, destructive accident, car accident, debilitating, a lifetime uh, disability, and, and she was just struggling maintaining her health throughout the years. She was currently sick and was in pretty significant and serious decline. And he knew about this. And so he, he says to this, to this lady, um, something you know, I, I'm praying for you, and I, I know this has to be hard for you and your family. 
And so he, he was being kind and gracious. And she, she sort of stopped him mid-sentence. And she says, oh, pastor, you know, I, I, I don't need that. And she says, you know, she's just healing. Okay, so stop. This lady, her daughter, could be dying. Um, she's not doing well. He's expressing empathy and sympathy and praying for God's grace. And she's saying, oh, that's not necessary. She's just healing. Okay. There's some appreciation for the optimism. Right? Okay. That's a really poor theology. Because it may not be God's will for her to heal. So the original statement, I'm praying for grace and strength, is an appropriate sentiment. And it could be, I might suggest, an appropriate response to say, hey, thank you. We're really leaning on God's grace right now. It's not spiritual to say, Pain and suffering are of the devil. Pain and suffering are just an evil. Pain and suffering, you know, that, we're just going to speak that out of existence. We're not going to acknowledge that. We're not, we're not going to discuss that. We're just going to assume the positive. I don't know where that kind of thinking has come from, because that is not historical, biblical thinking. It's, it's a sweet sentiment. It's optimistic. There may be even some faith involved in it. But that's not the way the Apostle Paul ever once spoke. Not one time. Um, if we're not careful, this engineering of difficult of our lives is going to affect our scriptural theology about pain and suffering. Uh, we're going to move away from something that God may intend to use in our life. If we're not careful, we can think that all pain and suffering is evil. Um, all of it is to be avoided. But um, we go this far. We, we can believe that God always wants us to be free from pain and suffering. And that instead, He wants health for us. And He wants wealth for us. And He wants us to have freedom from these pains. But again, that's not Bible. God at times uses intentionally pain for His purposes. He uses pain to um, refurbish and refine um, as a crucible to develop our character. There's a reality, there will be no more pain and suffering in heaven. And that's to be looked forward to. But it doesn't mean it's not, that it has no purpose on earth. That it's something that God can't use or that's something that even God designs and intends to use in the here and now. Our theology gets fuzzy here in our modern culture of creature comfort. Our belief about pain and suffering, even difficulty, often is wrong-headed. Um, it's been bred into us and we're accustomed to weakness and softness as no other generation has before us. And I know we don't like that, and we don't want to hear that, but that doesn't mean we don't need to hear that. Um, <laughs> I've already dove in, I'll dive in all the way. Um, grip strength, 
okay? The way you and I shake hands. Um, this has actually been studied. Um, my grandpa, I think about Terry's grandpa, their grip strength compared to the average man's grip strength today was about 25% stronger. Okay. Now, so what? Well, there's a reason for that. Terry's grandpa would probably shake most of our hands in a way that would make a lot of us guys say uncomfortable. But that's why they all shook hands back then. Now, this could get really weird to you, but grip strength is very uh, strongly associated and tied to longevity. Terry and I were eating a place this week, and a couple, maybe in their late 60s or whatever, asked me to take, um, well, they asked me to open iced tea because they couldn't. And I understand arthritis can make that difficult or whatever. I, I get that. Um, but we don't understand that that lack of grip strength and a lack of general strength and a lack of robustness and a lifestyle lack of robustness has physiological effects on the way we live when we're 60, 70, and 80. The, the point is this. We are not as strong physically as we used to be because we have engineered comfort or discomfort out of our lives, and I'm going to suggest to you that may have some health consequences for all of us. Okay, that, that's a side note. I also going to suggest if we have an improper and unpoor attitude about life discomfort, and we're always seeking to avoid it, and we always follow the path of least resistance, and we never subject ourselves to any discomfort, we may be doing some spiritual disservice to our health as well. Are you guys with me? It's, it's, it, there's a thought here that's important for us to wrestle with. An older theologian from Europe who came to America a generation ago was asked what he believed was the greatest defect among American Christians. He quickly replied, they have an inadequate view of suffering. They grin too much and groan too little. <laughs> Are you guys loving this? Now, do you hear do you understand what he's saying? He, he's not, he doesn't have a problem with people being happy. He's saying American Christians are unwilling to subject themselves to any form of discomfort for positive benefit. Well, if giving makes it uncomfortable for me, I'm not doing that. Well, if you want me to come to outreach and it takes up my Tuesday night, forget that. If you want me to come back on a Wednesday night for a certain, and I know who I'm talking to here, well, that inconvenience me, so I'm not doing that. To work on the grounds on Saturday morning and help mow, I'm out on that. You, you see where this goes? We're just, we just continue to engineer any inconvenience, any pain, any suffering, any difficulty. And, and, and this could have dire consequences on our spiritual health. This is true in so many areas of our life. We grin too much and we groan too little. 
In other words, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do, do what's easy, smile. But to ask me to do something that's hard um, and groan or to have an attitude like that, I, I'm out. We're unwilling to part with a smile in exchange, in exchange for a grimace when it comes to work and when it comes sometimes to spiritual suffering. Philip Yancey wrote in an article some years ago about some books that were written on suffering. And he's looking at these as a genre of books that were written on suffering a generation ago and the books that are written about, written about suffering today. And I'm going to read this I'm going to, I'm going to, so I don't get this wrong. He says, the shelf of all the religious books on this subject would clearly divide into two groups. The older ones by Bunyan, Don, Luther, Calvin, Augustine, and others are almost embarrassing in their readiness to accept pain and suffering as among God's useful agents. A sense of loyalty and faith in God's wisdom undergirds each one. More modern books on pain, beginning with some of the agnostic philosophers of the 19th century and continuing through so many Christians today, contrast sharply. These authors assume that the amount of evil and suffering in this world cannot be matched with the traditional view of, of a good and loving God. Therefore, many of them adjust their conception of God, either redefining His love or questioning His power to control evil. And I'm going to add, or to developing a brand new theology about suffering, where we, we can just speak it out of existence. Health, wealth, and, trans, and uh, prosperity. He says, do we forget that Luther and Calvin and others live in a world without either penicillin um, or ether, you know, for operations? And that Bunyan and Doan wrote their greatest works in dungeons? Throw one of us in a dungeon and we want to talk to our lawyer. Throw one of those guys in prison and you end up with Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> that, that speaks to me. Well, I want to think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. A day really passed in his Christian life when he didn't face, encounter pain and suffering in his own life or someone else's. He faced suffering in his own body. He faced pain uh, in continual difficulty in his ministry, in continuous ministry, and he, and he saw it in other people's lives. And he writes about suffering candidly and transparently and even vulnerably. He didn't say, oh, I'm just healing. No, he says, I'm being crushed. I'm being perplexed. This is tough. This is hard. Take your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 for a moment. And so he says here, um, verse 3, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which toward you is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. Um, for we also are weak in him. We shall live with him by the power of God toward you. In other words, Jesus, wasn't, Jesus experienced great hardship to the point of crucifixion. And, and I'm experiencing great difficulty too. But, but, that, but just because I'm weak doesn't mean I'm without power. Matter of fact, my power comes from my weakness because I'm dependent upon God. 
he's acknowledging that affliction is a reality, that God can comfort us in that, and, and that we can use our comfort or we can use our experiences to comfort other people. Um, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at a number of texts here, so be ready to flip in your Bibles. This is how Paul speaks of suffering. This is his attitude. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. He said, we're always, this is my law, bearing about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in my body. So he said, basically, my life is one big difficulty. Now, we would say, well, don't talk like that. That's not very positive. That, that's, that doesn't sound like faith. That's, that's not optimistic. And, and he's not a complainer either. He's just acknowledging a reality. My life is difficult. But I'm not going to let that affect my attitude. But neither am I going to dismiss it. The reality is there's difficulty in this life, and life is hard. And it's sometimes it, it's hard, hard to navigate. But, but there's, a, there's a principle in play in my body. Turn over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 4. He says, uh, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses, in stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings, by pureness of knowledge and long suffering. So, see, here's my point. I, I look up here. I, I, I want to get this across. There over there is what Paul needed to do. Over there. And here's where Paul was. But in order for Paul to get where he wanted to go, he traveled through all these words. And it didn't stop him. And neither did it negatively affect his attitude or spirit. My contention is this, because we've so engineered and maybe created a theology that everything that's hard is bad, is that that's where we need to go, but I've got to go through those words to get there. So I just think I'll sit here and grant and stay on this side. You want me to be in distresses and beatings and stripes often? You want to go to prison and all that? Those are all signs that God, does. those are closed doors. That's how we might say that. Surely God wouldn't want that. I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but it fits right now. Of all the medicines and drugs and things that we can ingest in our body that can improve the quality of our life, None of them touches the hem of the garment of what exercise and physical training can do. If there is such a thing as a magic elixir, it is exercise and training and physical conditioning. A thousand studies verify it will improve the quality of your life. It'll improve your health span and your lifespan. 
I think I'll just stay here. I'll just grin. Because this requires groaning. And that's unreasonable to ask me to groan. I would just rather forfeit this benefit and smile over here than trade the, gr the grin for a grimace for something that actually could improve the quality of my life. It's everywhere and it's endemic in Western culture. Just give me a pill. J just find some magic cure for me to get over here without all these words here in the middle. I want to live a supernatural, spirit-filled Christian life. Um, the way you get there isn't just from reading that book and showing up to church every Sunday and dressing a certain way and adopting certain standards and having certain knowledge. Please. Paul said, I pray that I can know and identify with the suffering of Christ so I can be more like Him. You want to become a better Christian? Groan a little. Don't be so afraid of hardship and difficulty because it is endemic in every single part of our life. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look there. Say, I don't want you to go away anymore because you're mean when you come back. <laughs> you can blame the book. Verse 23, chapter 11. And, and Paul is basically trying to um, you know, affirm his credentials of being an apostle. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Or, or is it my good Christian? Well, here's how you know that I am. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with the rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of heathens, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And beside these things are without that which cometh upon me daily that I choose to do, that I choose to walk through the care of the churches. Who is weak? Who's been subject to more harm and difficulty than me? No one. Who's offended and, and I burn not? And he says this, this is remarkable. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. He did say, oh, I'm just healing, I'm going to be okay. Let's not talk about that. No, I'm saying, I, if, if I go through all this, there, there's, there's a principle, there's a truth at work in me that this groaning is not in vain, as the girls sang about. He learned to glory in suffering. Let me say it a different way. He learned to be happy and content. Hey, wrong word, happy. He learned to be um, okay. Just okay with it. He didn't see it as an enemy. 
He didn't see pain as something always to be avoided because it's uncomfortable. Things have to be done. Work has to be accomplished. There's people who, who need the gospel. You know, this is good for my body. This is good for my family. This is good for the church. This is what's required to get where I want to go, where they need to go, where we need to go. And if, if, it's, if I got to go through this, I'll go through it. He gloried in it. Now listen, without allowing it to destroy his soul, without the suffering destroying his spirit, his faith, it, it didn't make him a bitter, ugly, hateful person. He was human. Paul was so honest and vulnerable. Here's where I am. This is where I wanted to be. I wanted the benefits of being a super fantastic, humble Christian without the thorn in the flesh. So three times I asked God to take it away, but he didn't. Okay, stop. He didn't. Make my life more comfortable. God, no. Make my life freer from pain and suffering. God's answer, no. How about that for theology? God wants his health and prosperity for me. Look up here. Maybe the answer to that is no. Well, can you clean that up so it's not so blunt? No. The answer is no. No, Paul, I'm not going to do that. No, that, that's not going to happen. The Bible tells us that Paul despaired of his life. I, I may be overreaching. That sounds suicidal to me. Is that real? Here's the thing, that he didn't stay there. I'm just talking about how human he was. Matter of fact, lots of guys, Elijah, Moses, despaired of their life. But they still kept going. They did what was required. They endured the pain and suffering. That's how they felt in the moment. But their faith was strong enough in God, they continued despite it. We feel like that's such a negative. Oh, you can't ever feel that way. You can't, you can't, you can't ever admit that this hurts. Yes, you can. That's honest. We just don't want to linger there. We don't want to stay there. Paul gloried in this. The famous chapter, next chapter, 12. I'm going to hurry. So Paul, he, he really gets the crux of all this in chapter 12. And he tells of this incredible experience that he was caught up in the third heaven. And he saw things, he saw things that, that words themselves are not improper vehicles to communicate. Like, there's a color, and I don't even know what it is. I don't know how to say it. But it was beautiful. And there's things I saw that are indescribable. And this was the privilege, the singular, unique privilege of God to see Christ in His throne room in a splendor, in a splendor way that not even the apostles themselves saw, maybe on the Mount, say the Mount of Transfiguration. This unimaginable privilege And it was counterbalanced with a thorn in the flesh. 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me that God allowed and wouldn't allow to be removed. What it was, I don't know, it doesn't matter. It was something that he wanted gone enough, but God saw it useful enough to say no to, no. So, Paul gets this, verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, no. But, this is what he did say, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, okay, i got to stop there. I am stronger when I'm weak than when I'm strong on my own. This poor illustration. Imagine this weighs 500 pounds. And I try to lift it. Ugh, I can't. This, this, now, this is going to be my singular prayer. God, give me the strength to lift it. Ugh. Lord, if I, if I had 10 pounds more muscle, I could lift it. Ugh. Lord, make me look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ugh. Lord, I have a bad back. Take away my bad back so I can lift it. Ugh. Or maybe, hey, God, I can't do this. Can I have some help? You know, then Daniel and Josh, these guys rushed down here, and together we left it. Sometimes we're forfeiting Daniel and Josh and all the guys helping us because all we can see and focus on is, I want to feel better. I want to do more. I want to be freed from pain. Rather than glorying in the fact, I can't lift it, but with God I can I can't make this thing move, but my weakness, when I am weak, with God's help, there's a strength that I would never have before. What's Paul saying? I could never accomplish all this incredible ministry that I did, save for the grace of God. And if I didn't have the thorn in the flesh, I depended on my own strength, would be this much. But with the grace of God, I have this much strength. But the problem is, we won't ever allow ourselves to be there. And when we are there, we just complain about it. And we don't just pray one time, two times, we, we just never stop. And we're just, st we're just stuck. We never make any movement. Paul came to terms with basically what Joseph said. The world, the devil meant it for evil, but God means it for good. The messenger of Satan, what, what, what did Satan want in 2 Corinthians 12? To destroy Paul with the thorn, to discourage Paul, to stop Paul. But instead, it empowered Paul and made him stronger because he was humble enough to ask for God's help. God used the thorn to drive him to his knees, not to his grave. To do a greater work, not a lesser one. There's a theology here. Paul experienced hurt. He asked for it to be relieved. God said no. But he says, I'll give you something else. I'll give you all sufficiency in all things and all circumstances so you can continue to do the good work that I've called you to do even when you're weak, even when you're hurting. It may not always be God's will for you to be healed. It may not always be God's will for, for you to be free from pain and difficulty and strife. But it is always God's will 
for his purposes to be accomplished in you through all these things. It is always God's will for you to echo the sentiment of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, I can do all things, meaning this, I can be content in all circumstances, no matter what they be. That is God's will, to focus on the way to go through it. It's God's will that you accept what the world brings, to recognize you could do more on your own, or you could do much more with God's help. And that's what he wants. What God promises us in everyday life, in all of our difficulties, is all sufficiency. And that's a theology we need to accept. See, our focus could be on our weakness and our sickness and our relational difficulties. We focus on the agency that is causing the hurt, and then focusing on that agency, we become bitter about it, angry about it, mad about it, we quit about it, we, we, we fume about it. It can be a person, we can allow a person who hurt us to occupy the front and center of our brain for so long, and it, and it just destroys us. What God wants us to focus on is our response in pain and suffering. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It hurts. It stinks. I don't like it. But it'll be okay. God has a purpose in it. There's reason. I trust Him. I, I'm going to be stronger this way. Maybe not physically. Maybe I can't see it or discern it, but I, it's true. You see, trust and dependence, not being crushed, not being mentally, physically disabled in some ways, stunted, overly grieved, that we're working through it. That's what God wants for us in these things. Not to always focus on the wrong. It is not good for us to always be avoiding what's hard. In the text, all these, pain is a pathway to what's good. Whether it be health, or whether it be some purpose of God, or, or some accomplishment. God's greatest desire for us is not the freedom from pain and discomfort, to live a successful, pain-free life. There are some people who never accept pain, will never subject themselves to any pain, no grimace, and they're always going to fall short of what God wants for them or what God could do. I'm going to close with this. Remember something. Pain and suffering are not new. They're not outside the boundaries, boundaries of what God can do for us. Job 5.7, yet man is born into trouble as the, spot, as the sparks fly upward. God has always used pain. We live in a fallen world. There's always going to be pain. It's inevitable. I don't want to hear that. It's inevitable. We need to say that to our kids so they don't quit when things get hard. We need to accept this. Life can be hard. Teach our kids, accept in our lives, and focus on our response to it when it comes. What was Job's wife's response to pain and suffering? Curse God and die. And by the way, we're pretty hard on Job's wife. She probably doesn't deserve all that. She was grieving for the loss of her children. But what did Job say? What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God 
And shall we not receive evil? <laughs> that is so far removed from how we think. God's good to us, and sometimes it rains on us. God giveth, God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If, if all we do is avoid pain, I'm pretty sure we're just going to continue experiencing more of it tomorrow. Here's what my health is today. So, I'm just not going to go through these hard words to get to a better place, because this hurts. Okay, newsflash. If it hurts you when you're 30, and it hurts you when you're 40, and I'm telling you it hurts you when you're 50, and you do nothing about it, it's going to hurt you worse in your 60s, 70s, and 80s. You just choose your pain. You can choose the kind of suffering you want to go through. One is more productive than the other. If spiritually all we do is follow the path of least resistance, I don't want to go to that meeting. I don't want to do that work. I don't want to serve in that way. I don't want to give like that. I don't want to pass out a track. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to knock on a door. That has consequences spiritually. God uses this stuff in our lives. It's, it's, it's not new. Secondly, you've got to realize suffering, pain, and difficulty have a purpose. Life's about trade-offs. Is, is what I am losing worth what I am gaining? Okay. I have, I've been making this decision for my life for, for decades. This here cost me something. Time in the morning, blood sweat, cost me something. Here's the product. When I'm over here, is that worth the trade-off? To me, the answer is yes. In a world that has engineered discomfort out of its life, for lots of people, the answer is no. The people who make a church work, the guys who came here all day, Friday and Saturday to work, their answer is, this is going to take two of my days, three of my days, all my time. It's going to be a lot of sweat. But as the product of, you know, Seven, eight, nine hundred people in the families coming and join the evening. Is that product worth this? You know what their answer was? Yes. It is. If that's what's required to know Christ, is it worth it? Paul says it's a worthy trade-off. It's worth it. And I, I think it is too. It's about focus. And number three, we need to learn to live with pain more productively. Instead of always fighting it, it's okay to ask for it to be removed. It's okay to see there's ways around it. It's okay to pray about it. But there's got to come a point where we have to accept it and ask God to make us stronger through it, whatever it is. This poem has been read so much, it's almost cliche, but I still like it. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches, I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. 
I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might endure all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. I don't know if the idea, the principles lost on you. I, ho I hope not. I am going to suggest to you modernity is benign. Last 200 years, the advancements we have, the engineering that's made life easier is, is benign in and of itself. It's not an evil. Nothing wrong with 2023. I'm going to suggest to you but some of its consequences are destructive. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. We are weaker than we know. And we need to think about that. Let me ask you to stand.